Where I'm going this morning is, have, do you ever get to that point, though, where you start to wonder, has our world become so effective at escaping, is there anybody left in reality? Is there anybody left who's, who's in reality or has everyone successfully escaped? Thus, today I welcome you to week one of Escape to Reality. And to kick this thing off, if, if we're going to choose a primary symbol for this series, um, a symbol of escape for our world, this is what I would choose. This is my phone, my cell phone. You know, those things that everybody walks around buried in. Those things that everybody walks around looking at the screen. Now, you, you've recognized it by now. You go to a restaurant, you see a family having a meal together, but you quickly notice that as this family is sitting in the restaurant to have a meal together, everybody at the table is what? On the phone. You go to a meeting. You go to a meeting, you sit down across a table from someone and phones go on the table. Now, even if you're polite enough in the meeting to actually turn your phone over, right? I'm not going to look at it. I'm not going to look at it during this meeting, but it's on the table and I'm going to turn it over. What, what we're still communicating is, hey, it, it, it's, it's good to meet with you today, but there just might be something more important than you that's going to come along here in a few minutes, and I don't want to miss it because even if I turn it upside down, I can still hear it and I can still feel it and I'll know if that something more important comes along. Hours spent playing games. Um, hours spent tweeting. Hours spent checking likes. Right? I mean, this really isn't hard for you to get the picture. Uh, Apple says the average iPhone user unlocks their phone, you ready? 80 times a day. 80. Unlocks it 80 times a day. Some of you are like, well, I don't unlock my phone 80 times a day. That means somebody's unlocking it 140 times a day. <laughs> right? And you know them. You know that person, right? When you, when you count the taps, types, and swipes, it, it is more than 2,500 of them a day. Again, some of you are like, well, I don't do that at all. That means somebody's going 5,000. It, it's just the average. Now, here's, here's what I'm going to admit to you. I, I really like these things from the feeling of peace that it can give me sometimes 
like when I hand one to my child before they get in a vehicle. I'm really grateful that it exists at that point, right? I can, I can hand it to my girls when they were growing up about to get in a vehicle, and, and not only does it mean that they could communicate with me if something happens or I could communicate with them if something happens, but I also know exactly where they are, right? I mean, it's a beautiful thing. I, 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 don't, I, I like the access to information. If I'm in a certain spot of town and I'm looking for something, I mean, it just, just changes the game in terms of being able to, to find what you need. But come on, access to information means access to all information. Like, access to information that we wish our kids would, would never see. When you put all that together, I think it makes it easy for us to fall into the deceptive thinking of, of what I'm just going to frame as technology versus technology. What's the difference in those two words? The only difference is the T. The one on the left is capitalized. The, the one on the right is, is not. And so when we start using technology with, 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 with the capital T, technology is giving us access to content and images that are wounding our heart. Technology is monopolizing our time. Technology is separating us from each other. When we start capitalizing the word technology, which means it's going at the beginning of the sentence, it is the topic, it is the hero, it is the one who is making the difference. The solution to that becomes it is time to stop living in this virtual world. It is time to truly start to relate to people again. It is time to put the phone back in the box and stop using it. Stop using it. Let's pray. No. Because we're talking about reality. Here's the reality. Is it really our screens that are stealing from us? Is it really our, our smartphones that are making it impossible to have a conversation? I'm presenting to you that email and Twitter and Instagram and Facebook and LinkedIn and YouTube and Pinterest and you can name your other 50 are not taking us away from people. They're not. Now, I'm not denying the effects 
that technology can have on us as human beings. I am not. And and in fact, in this series, I'm going to tell you that those effects are even bigger than what we tend to think they are. But the phones are not the cause. And so putting our phones away won't erase the effects of what we're dealing with. It's because the smartphones are not the cause. Humans are the cause. Humans are the cause. We we are the cause in the sense of technology. And what I mean by that is, I don't just mean the people who engineer them, right? The people who can put it together and and make it work. I'm saying we who use it. When we think about technology, I mean, you think about language and art and structure and and customs. This, This is a part of our culture. We create culture. Here's what I've come to realize. It's really funny, though. Culture tends to be invisible to us except for the parts of culture that start to trouble us, which is usually the newest thing on the block. That's usually how we see culture. It's really invisible. We walk in it every day. We interact in it every day until there's something that, that, we, that we don't like. Let me, let me in, in his work, um, the, the Phaedrus, Plato Okay, we're going way back. Plato quotes Socrates. You ready? If men learn this, it will implant forgetfulness in their souls. They will cease to exercise memory because they rely on that which is written. Calling things to remembrance no longer from within themselves, but by means of external Marks. You know what Socrates was referencing? The wild technology of writing. The new technology of of writing something down, external marks. And Socrates is saying, oh my goodness, the new technology. Nobody's going to remember anything for the rest of their lives. Nothing of remembrance is ever going to come from within again because we're dealing with this newfangled technology. I'm telling you, it has always been our approach to blame the newfangled invention of the day. For many of our generations, before there were smartphones, there were televisions. And we blame televisions. Churches do this continuously. It is absolutely amazing to me that, that, that some new, new technology will come along. I mean, it can be as simple as something different with lights. And people freak out. Freak out. Totally ignoring all of the technology that they're already good with. But something new and unfamiliar comes along, and suddenly we, we somehow don't, don't believe that we can actually use that to point to the greatness of our God. We do it. When technology is treated as the enemy, the solution is really easy. My job would be easy today. I stand up in front of you and I say, avoid it, control it, Just delete it, 
put the phone in the box and stop using it. The problem is, remember that family in the restaurant? That family in the restaurant that's there to eat a meal, but everybody's staring at their screens. Well, I'm telling you, they're really not just staring at their screens. They're they're actually staring at a mirror. They are staring at a mirror of human nature. And if there ever was a mirror for us in in our day, in our culture, uh, the the smartphone, really, it it is a a mirror. It it, it is a mirror because, because what is this thing that's going on? Well, here's what's looking back at us. This whole time that we're buried in our screen, the, the time that it consumes, all that is, it is, it reflects this need for relationship connection. A need to be connected. It's a mirror that's pointing to that. It's a mirror that points to the truth that we can be really good at numbing the situation before we have to feel. Before we got to go through this hurt, before we got to deal with this stuff, instead we can just numb it with the stuff around us. It's the mirror looking back at us. This is, this is what we do. It reflects the desire to be productive. That's why I put the phone on the table. I mean, there's, there's this part of just a continual drive in all that. Those are human issues. So, for we who follow Jesus, we got to think through this the right way. And we don't get to just point the finger at our phones and call them the problem. I want to start with a text today out of 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. By the way, I, I, um, this is one of the benefits of like getting to be in a place for a long time is that you can't do what I just did everywhere because people by then would be going, is he ever going to read the Bible? Are we ever going to read the Bible? Are we ever going to? You know that that never is there going to be a day that we're not going to get to what the Bible has to say. That's the authority for what we're dealing with today. But when you're somewhere for a little while, at least a little bit of trust gets built to where you know we're going somewhere with this. It's just sometimes i got to paint the picture for us to see why we need to deal with this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. Here's what the Apostle Paul says to the Corinthians. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. Let's stop there for a second. Here's what Paul's dealing with. Some of these Corinthians had a view the context of this passage, they've got a view of their physical bodies that, that made it so that whatever they did, they believed was morally indifferent, just didn't matter. Their, their, their reasoning was the body isn't going to be forever, not going to last. Therefore, the body 
and food and drink and sex, all that is going to be done away with and all that's going to be destroyed in the end. So really, your body doesn't matter. Therefore, eat, drink, have sex however you want you know, to play that game in your life because the body is immorally irreverent it's, or, or irrelevant. That's what I was trying to say. It's what you know and think that really counts. That's the thinking that Paul is dealing with in these Corinthians. Now, he kind of lines out the picture that you're not right about the fact that, that there is no, no, uh, no effect of, of, of your body and that it doesn't matter with your body. And he talks about how the body is for the Lord and the Lord is for the body and he connects all that. And, 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 but what I, I love, he doesn't argue with their slogan. He doesn't argue with their slogan of, I have the right to do anything. He goes with that. But I also believe that, that for, for Paul, he, he's arguing this from a different perspective. When, when he says, I, I have the right to do anything, here's a man who, who's, who's arguing from a standpoint of when you stop living in terms of making something right between you and God based on this list of do's and don'ts, he says when that whole approach is, is done away with what, what we refer to as the law, then you start to live by a filter of Christian love and Christian freedom. Christian love and Christian freedom. And so he says, you say not everything is beneficial. Or, or you say that, 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 you know, I have the right to do anything. And he would say, okay, but not everything is beneficial. In other words, n- not everything builds up. That's the term he uses in, in, a, in another place in Corinthians. In, in other words, this is a rule of love. You have the freedom to do what you want, but you're going to do what loves. You're going to do that which builds you up. You're going to do that which builds up those around you. You have the right to do whatever you want to do, but now that you follow Jesus, no, you're, you're going to do that which loves. And so not everything is beneficial because not everything builds you up. And then he says in the second part of the verse, again, I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Again, I got the right to do whatever, but but I will not be mastered by anything. The question is not, can I do this? The, The question is first, does this love, does this build my heart in, in relation to, to who I am with God? Does this build the people around me in, in relation to who they are to God? And then the second question is, does it own me? Does it, does it master me? Does it, does it control me? Does it addict me? And I'm telling you throughout Scripture, those are consistently the picture that Paul paints for us that we are free. But our freedom doesn't set us up to just be selfish. 
Our freedom sets us up to love. It sets us up to serve. It sets us up to see beyond ourselves. How does that happen? It happens because of the work of God's Spirit inside us. God's Spirit working in us, freeing us from being enslaved to anything except God. That is the source of our love. And so why do we live in freedom? We live in freedom, one, because slavery is dangerous. It's dangerous. This is completely opposed to what it means to give your life to Jesus where he is the king who owns your life. Anything else that you are going to entrust your life to, anything else that you are going to pretend is a God, it's not a good God. Anything else that you sink your faith into, this is totally opposed to what it means to be a follower of Jesus where he is my king. It is dangerous to let anything else run my life. And then second, why live in freedom? Because once you know how good he is, there is nothing more wonderful than him being king of you. There is nothing more wonderful than trusting his lead, his heart, his love, his faithfulness. All right. Shall we apply? If I am at dinner with friends, maybe you're at dinner with a group of friends, and the next thing you know, you, you are in a texting conversation with somebody who's not even there. Here's your sign. Something owns you. It's addiction. Now, come on, think about how crazy that is to be at dinner with people, like living, breathing people, right? Right in front of you, across the table, opportunity to interact, and the next thing you know, there is a texting conversation going on between you and somebody who's not even there. Something owns you. You go to the meeting, and, I mean, there are some of you that, that just cannot imagine being in a meeting and not putting that phone on the table because, oh, my goodness, what happens? What happens if it dings? What, 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 happen, it, what happens if it goes off, right? And what, what we're communicating in terms of who's valuable, well, you're pretty valuable, but there might be something more valuable. Something owns my heart. Something owns my heart. If you wake up in the morning and check your phone before saying good morning to your spouse, I'm saying, come on, think about, think about what's going on. Something might own you. If you receive a text while you are driving, and even though it is against the law, you have to pick up that phone and engage in that text. I'm trying to get us to slow down enough today to ask the question, does something perhaps own us? 
is something perhaps controlling us more than we think it is? Does it master us more than we want to admit to? From the science part of all this, which is quite fascinating to me, which by the way, I encourage Christians all the time, don't be afraid of science. Don't be afraid of science. You know who owns science? God owns science, right? Don't be afraid of science. The struggle comes when you get people who claim to be scientists who actually just deal in philosophies that have not nor ever have been proven. That's where the struggle comes. I'm a scientist, but I'm, I'm laying something scientific out to you that's never been proven, nor will it ever be, and we're going to claim authority over it. No, all right? But in terms of science, this is God, right? He, he, he owns all this. Well, science helps us understand this um, with actually a part of how our brain works. Um, it's a chemical that flows through our brain called dopamine. You heard of dopamine? If you never have, you can look it up. I'm challenging you. Search it out. Um, it, it is actually a neurotransmitter, all right, which in preacher terms means it sends a signal. Okay, that's what I do. It's like, how can you possibly simplify this to its, to its small? It sends a signal, and, and the way I describe it is dopamine sends a signal that alerts us to the presence of, the possibility of, reward. Dopamine says, go get that. It's a part of the drive that is God-given to you. It's a part of the drive. Go get that, right? Possibly reward, go get that. And so we have this drive in us to go get more, but here's the issue. We go get more of whatever we believe will make us happy. And so dopamine has tons of functions in your body. Isn't it just wild? You start studying like all the stuff God puts in your body. I mean, and you just walk away going, how could anybody not believe in God, right? I mean, when the, when the littlest, right, chemical wouldn't be present and how it throws everything off and you just go, how? To, for all that to come together, for all of that to function like it does, dopamine affects your, it, it's connected to your memory, it's connected to your motion, it's connected to a lot of stuff in your body. But it's also connected to this fact of when you see somebody who, who um, is addicted to something, maybe, maybe it's, it's purchasing, so there's the, 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 the purchase and the purchase and the purchase. Well, dopamine was involved in that going, go get it. Go get it. Go get it. All right, if it's, if it's um, drinking, it's like, go get it. Go get it, go get it. If, it. if it's gambling, here's the wild, like for gambling, it, you don't even have to win. It's like if you almost win, then the, there's the thrill of the hunt. It's like, oh, we almost got it, almost got it, almost got it. And so drive. It's this drive. We got to try it again. We got we to we go after this again. You keep the sex, whatever you want to. This is, this is a part. It's the chasing after, the drive to go get whatever you believe will make you happy. Now, we all understand sometimes there's this aspect of the anticipation that's better than the reality. So, you, you, there's this new thing on the market that you really, really want because you, you've, been, you've been seeing the commercials, right? 
And, and, and it seems like between every Olympic event, they're showing you this thing that you really need. You, you need this thing. And, and so you, the drive is to go get the thing, go get the thing, and then you get it, and then you take it out of the box, and then really quick, the thrill goes away. It, it very soon goes away. The Bible, when it talks about these desires that we have, when they are things that we desire that are either opposed to the heart of God or are desired in place of the heart of God, they are referred to as desires of the flesh. They're desires of the flesh. And the Bible says they wage war against your soul. Okay, that's kind of a big deal. If your soul is being waged war on, th th these are the things. It's, it's these desires. Even the Apostle Paul is super honest about those moments when he says, I find myself doing what I don't want to do. I'm really glad he put that in there. I find myself doing what I don't want to do as I'm fighting these desires that I know. Right? So, so often we mistakenly equate the hunt with the capture. We mistake the experience of wanting something with the guarantee of happiness that if we get it, we'll have the happiness. And so we eat what we don't want to eat, and we buy what we don't want to buy, and we click on what we don't want to click on. but it's the anticipation of the reward. And it, it flows when we are in the thrill of the hunt. So, why am I so attached to this thing? Because I'm telling you that there really is a same effect that happens where the next message that comes across that, that, that might be the one that, 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 I, that I need. That, that's the one that I'm, I'm really looking for. The next message that comes across, I, I, I need to know what that is. The, the, the next video might be the one that makes me laugh. The, ne the next one might be the one. And so we, we, check, and so con we, we check every message and we check every link and, and we just stay constantly engaged because somehow there, there is this drive that, that go get it, go get it because this might be where happiness is found. In these constant jolts of dopamine, we search, but the reward elusive. And so, here's how some people cope with that. It's like, I don't feel too good today. Just kind of feeling blah. And so, you know what you do? You send out 10 texts. You send 10 texts because you know that when the responses come back, you feel good. You feel good. And so we know how, it's why we constantly check how many likes, right? Maybe you blog and, and you're checking and it's like, well, how come there's not as many likes as there were last week? I thought this was really good. I thought, I thought this was good and not as many people like it this week. As they, and we constantly play this game because it's the search that somewhere in there, there is this reward. Somewhere there in there is this happiness and we're just driven to keep going, to keep going. And, and, and what happens is the more you give in, and you know this with addictions, 
the more you give in, the more you are hooked, the less you are satisfied, and so you need a stronger dose the next time. Right? You need a stronger dose the next time. (laughs) It's going to happen like 10 times today. I know it will. It's fine. It's fine. I was already prayerfully prepared for today. Right? It's already happened. It's like it's all right. Don't, no, no worries. It's going to happen a bunch today. I think it's divine. I think it is. I think God's going to set off phones across, across different ones. The more you give in, the more you're hooked, the less you're satisfied. And so you need a stronger dose. And what happens literally in your brain, those, those neurons that fire together, they wire together and again, in, in preacher language, it's like these circuits that get cemented together, and it's like a freeway is created in your brain, and it becomes the easiest route. And, and the more you do it, the more you give in, the more you're on the search, this becomes the easiest route. But eventually that route becomes the same old trail. And this time on the trail, I don't know, it's just not doing it for me, so I need to get a little closer to the cliff. I I need to get a little closer to the edge. Because the dose that worked last time isn't, isn't working this time. I need a little more excitement. So much available to us. Jesus, when talking to his disciples about desires, said one day, Luke chapter 12, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious, do not worry about your life, what you will eat about, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. What's Jesus saying? He's saying, guys, this hunt that you're on, I mean, I, this, this whole thing, it, the hunt, it, it's designed. I, I, want you to be, I want you to be on the search. I want you to be on the hunt. But I'm telling you, this hunt is for something much more than you think it is. This is bigger than what you eat. This is bigger than about what you wear. That this is bigger than about what you got to possess. That this is bigger than all of that. And then he said, a little later in that text, verse 31, but seek his kingdom. Seek God's kingdom and all these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. He's like, look, I know, I know, everything around you, everybody's on this search, and they're, they're on the search for do, do I, what I need to wear, and do I, do I have, right, the, the latest of, of this and the latest of that, and it's, it's all about what we're going to eat. And my, he said, I know, all these desires are running, but, but if you think, if you think that at the end of all that is where the real happiness and satisfaction is going to be found, he goes, no, there is a search you're supposed to be on, but the search is about the kingdom of God. 
What is his kingdom? His kingdom is, is where God rules in the, in the hearts of people whose trust are in him. The kingdom of God is about the presence of God. It's about the truth that God lives in me. It's about the truth that I live in him. He's saying, redirect your desire and be on this chase. you got to blaze a new trail. And when you do, Come on, you've chased after this thing and chased after this thing and chased after this thing and those freeways in your brain are really easy for you to slip into. When pressure comes, when, when, when stuff happens, it's really easy for you to march down that freeway. But you gotta, you got to redirect. you got to see there is, a, there is a different path that you were meant to walk. And, and in this path, there really is satisfaction. But, but you know what? Don't be deceived into thinking that this path, when you're first going, you're first walking a brand, you ever cut a new path through the woods? You ever had to cut a new path through anything? And, and you feel like this is taking forever because we got to stop and we got we to take some limbs off here. And it, it feels like there's, there's stuff in the way and we got to, it, it kind of feels like it's slow going at first. But, but you, you, you cut a new path and then the next time you walk that path, it's, it's a little smoother. And the next time you walk that path, it becomes a little easier until it, it, it becomes the path that you know this is how you walk this out. And the cool thing with this path is although when you meet Jesus, he gives you all of him. You don't get like a little bit of Jesus now, and if you work hard enough, you get a little more Jesus later, and then a little more. He, he gives you all. But come on, we're going to be spending the rest of our life and the rest of eternity realizing how big of a gift that really is. And yes, the more you walk that path, there is a an excitement that grows in you. That passion grows. You want to know more of who Jesus is. But the cool is, there's more. There's more. The more you walk it, the more you want of him. Because he knows where lasting satisfaction is found. So, I hope it makes sense to you that on a day like today when you walk in here and there's stuff on the tables like life on mission. Why does this matter? It's because this is about cutting the path that God has called you to walk. That this is about seeing that you don't want to spend your life pursuing what you perceive to be a reward that, that is not really the reward of peace and satisfaction and fulfillment. You, you, you want to cut the path that really leads to life. That's why this matters. And sometimes I think we, we just kind of are, are we're, we're kind of fooled by an enemy who goes, well, as long as you know that, then you'll be okay. No, man. 
you got to get on the path and you got to have some people on the path with you and you got to keep you got to keep cutting on the path as you as you keep moving forward and in trusting him and, and and keeping your heart and in your head in those places where it needs to be until you are so addicted to the gospel that you just don't even want to entertain thoughts of chasing after anything else. You are so addicted to Jesus. And you are so addicted to walking out those paths of life that he has for you as you share the good news of Jesus everywhere you go. I want to see a bunch of addicted people. I do. Addicted to the gospel, addicted to a life on mission. Let the dopamine flow. Go get it. Go get it. Some of you um, kind of have perhaps a perspective. It's like, well, I, I do. I, I want this, but I don't, I, I don't, I can do this on my own. And you know what? Maybe you can. You're pretty special if you can, to be honest, because most, most of us cannot do this on our own in terms of, you know, kind of isolating and kind of doing our own thing. And most of us cannot do this on our own. But even if you can, there are people here who cannot, and they need you on this journey. If, if you can, we really need you on this journey, helping us walk it out. Anybody, when you think about all this stuff and you think about technology, you think about smartphones and just everything of access, I mean, anybody just willing to admit, and I'm, I'm admit, there's just this, at times, even though you trust Jesus, there's just this part of your heart that just fears and aches for your children and your grandchildren who are walking this stuff out. Anybody? Anybody there? Come on. I, I'm, there's just this, right, there's just this part of you that goes, oh my goodness, to see what hangs in the balance. Um, Jeff, is there a way that I can help my kids walk this out in a healthy way? How about we talk about that next week? Like, how about if we even get practical? It's like, well, should I even give my kid a phone? Right? Because that's how you feel. Like, I ain't giving them any technology for the rest of their life. Right? We'll talk about it. Well, when, when should I do that? We'll talk about it. Um, we'll, we'll, like, should I? Like, it's like we don't even want to ask. Should I, like, read their text? We'll talk about it. Well, what if I feel like my family's out of balance and we need to dial some things back in, right? No pun intended. What if we need to do that? We'll talk about it. Next time, on week two of Escape to Reality. I'll pray for us. Um, when we're done, we'll be right over here on the side. If you need some prayer today, we'd be honored to uh, help you however we can. Encourage you to stick around. Come on, even if you stay for brunch, it's worth, worth sticking around. Stay for brunch, get a little info, get a little material. When I look at the world around me, 
I sometimes become really overwhelmed because I don't know how to fix all that. I don't know how to fix all that. But you know what we can do? We can work on our house. And I don't just mean the one where your family lives. I mean the one where this family lives. Let's work on our house. God, I thank you for your word today. Um, my prayer is that um, <laughs> you, you would um, communicate today in such a way that this is really not about, um, hopefully, us feeling beat up over some of the struggles that we know we all have with this deal. But God, it, it really is about, hopefully, enough of, of, a, of a jolt that we can see, that we can see, really, some of the stuff that, that, that's happening. And God, if it weren't smartphones, it, it, there would be other stuff. There would be other things that would always call for our heart. There, there have always been things that, that we tended to chase after, believing that somehow in that chase, that's the reward we're looking for. God, I'm asking that in this series, you would reroute some paths. And that we're, we're always, we're, we're going to be a people in a, in a world of technology. Help us as your kids to know how to walk that out in a way that brings glory to your name. God, we want our families to be healthy. We want marriages to be healthy. We want our kids to be healthy. And by healthy, we mean that their hearts are, are addicted to you. We want their hearts to be so addicted to the good news of who you are and what you've done for us that, God, that, that it just begins to drown out all those other paths that we might chase. God, I'm asking that you would awaken us to the reality of who you are and how you love us and the life that you have called us to. May you bless your people. Thank you for the time together today. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. God bless.